Let's get educated. That's why we're here, to bring you the stories impacting K-12 classrooms and college campuses. It's time for a little education. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am Katie Petrick, joined, as always, by Mr. David Fiorazzo. And uh, today's yes. the end of the work week for us. <sighs> so uh, just a reminder that if you want to support the work of this show or any of our other programs, do consider getting yourself a little bit of swag. All you have to do is visit freedomproject.com slash store and you can get yourself a mug or a shirt or even a hoodie again that's freedomproject.com slash store thank you katie all right friends it's once again that special time to check in with mr alex newman to see what nonsense he has to share with actually it's not his nonsense but he's reporting on nonsense as he does every week he's going to do it right now hi alex thanks guys uh, yeah, so 2024 is already heating up. It's already shaping up. And the two uh, gorillas in the room, the two um, primary candidates, even though one's not officially a candidate yet, Trump and DeSantis, are both zeroing in on education. Uh, that makes me happy because, as, uh, as you guys know, that I think is the most important issue of all the issues. But, um, yeah, it looks like it's going to be taking center stage throughout the next two years of presidential politics. Uh, DeSantis, of course, has been on the war path here in Florida against woke education throughout his term as governor. And uh, Trump has also been dealing a lot with education. And he actually just recently released a video on what he would do with education in his second term. Uh, obviously, both of them are promising to uh, ramp up the culture wars. And by that, I don't mean they're going to launch a culture war. Uh, really, what's happening here is conservatives are finally realizing that a war has been declared on them. And uh, now conservative voters, grassroots Republicans are asking their leaders to please uh, come up with some sort of response in this war rather than continuing to allow the children to be radicalized, indoctrinated, dumbed down, sexualized, etc. Uh, so this is obviously a, a very, very big issue with Republicans and even a lot of Democrats. If you look at the polling, a lot of Democrats are upset with what's happening in the schools, too. Uh, so uh, DeSantis. Even though he's not formally announced yet, uh, you know, it's common knowledge in Tallahassee. They're all jockeying for position. Well, who's going to run for governor? Who's going to do this? Right. So they're all moving around. They all uh, expect uh, that DeSantis will be running soon. And uh, he's got a, a pretty strong record on education as far as grassroots Republicans and conservatives are concerned already. Uh, of course, he um, was the first to really punch back against Joe Biden on the uh, crazy uh, school stuff, you know, the forced masking of kids, right? Uh, all that kind of stuff. He also went on a rampage against the woke policies. Uh, he tried to protect children against uh, sexualization, at least in the younger years, the, the so-called don't say gay bill, which actually doesn't say that. Um, and uh, even the uh, the race mongering in the classroom, uh, how exactly that would look at the federal level. Of course, the, the federal government has much less say over education, or at least in theory, has no say over education, constitutionally speaking. So we don't know exactly what his federal policies would be. But I think we can get some idea just based on what he's done. Uh, if you actually look at the radical left, uh, for example, the, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, the most dangerous person in the world, according to Mike Pompeo, uh, that's Randy Weingarten, and also uh, the left-wing propagandists and New Republican stuff, uh, they're actually arguing that DeSantis wants to destroy public education entirely. Uh, Trump, on the other hand, who, uh, of course, is dominating in the polls right now, I and mean, he's just crushing everybody, including DeSantis, uh, he released uh, very recently a plan to save American education, which that's interesting. Interesting. I don't know if you can save the Titanic of American so-called education. But uh, one of the things he said is that he's going to stop funding it to uh, woke school stuff. Check this out. Here is my plan to save American education, restore power to American parents, 
First, we will cut federal funding for any school or program pushing critical race theory, gender ideology, or other inappropriate racial, sexual, or political content onto our children. Additionally, on day one, we will begin to find and remove the radical zealots and Marxists who have infiltrated the Federal Department of Education. And that also includes others, and you know who you are, because we're not going to allow anybody to hurt our children. I will veto the sinister effort to weaponize civics education. We will keep men out of women's sports, and we will create a new credentialing body that will be the gold standard anywhere in the world to certify teachers who embrace patriotic values, support our way of life, and understand that their job is not to indoctrinate children, but very simply to educate them. So there you, you heard it. Uh, it's a little bit longer than that if you want to go see the full version, but it gives you a sense of what he's up to. Now, uh, during his last campaign, he actually said repeatedly, we might just want to abolish the Department of Education. This is obviously uh, a change in tone uh, rather than abolishing. I think Trump wants to try to use federal power and federal funding to get his way. Uh, obviously, there's some potential pitfalls there. Like if another Democrat gets elected, they'll just use all that infrastructure to further weaponize the schools. But of course, this is going to be the key issue, right? Republican strategists figured out Virginia was a really good example that education is what the voters are concerned about right now. Uh, you have a couple other candidates. You've got Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm not really sure they're going to play a, a big role in the 2024 election. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good thing that this focus is on education. It's absolutely necessary. Uh, the real question is, can these schools be saved? Can the cancer be reformed or do we need to get rid of it? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, public schools are a burning building. If your children are inside, you need to run in and get them out. Later, we can discuss wallpaper and things like that. But um, anyways, uh, 2024 is already shaping up to be really interesting. And I think the focus is going to be on the schools big time. A Canadian parliamentary committee is recommending lawmakers legalize euthanasia for sick and disabled children or those in Canada's child welfare system. They think that those whose deaths are what they consider reasonably foreseeable should be able to end their own lives. Even more horrific is the fact they want children to make the decision without parental consent. I'm David Fiorazzo and this is Christ and Culture. Now, lest we look down our noses on our northern neighbors, remember the birth control and eugenics movement took off right here in America with the help of Margaret Sanger, of course, Planned Parenthood's radical founder who inspired Hitler's racial purity program. Now, physician-assisted suicide is now legal in 10 states. Washington, D.C., of course, <laughs> is one of those places that's legal, but for those keeping score, Colorado, Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington State. Judges in Montana and California have the power to grant people legal assistance to take their lives. But in Canada, the Special Joint Committee on Medical Assistance in Dying, that's M-A-I-D, called for an alarming expansion of euthanasia in Canada to now include mature minors. Recommendation 19 in the report says this, 
that the government of Canada established a requirement that, where appropriate, the parents or guardians of a mature minor be consulted in the course of the assessment process for MAID, M-A-I-D, but that the will of a minor who is found to have the requisite decision-making capacity ultimately take priority, end quote. Who determines what is appropriate? Government, of course. Parents or guardians may or may not be consulted in the euthanasia death of their child if he or she is deemed capable of decision-making. Now, it's bad enough that Canada allows terminally ill and chronically ill adults to receive medical assistance to kill themselves, but expanding the legal coverage to include children is a tragic and heartbreaking development in the modern death culture. Now, I spoke recently with Pastor Tim Stevens of Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary on Stand Up For The Truth podcast, and he, and he warned his congregation that Jesus comes to give life, but Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, Tim Stevens also warned about the consequences of sinful ideas and said, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is pain, misery, destruction, and eventually death. We see this in all types of sin, end quote. According to the Canadian government, after March 17, 2023, people with a mental illness as their sole underlying medical condition will have access to MAID, medical assistance in dying, if they meet all the eligibility requirements. Now, this is something that absolutely needs to be discussed and talked about and debated. There shouldn't be a debate, but it's tragic the fact that this is happening. Now, the new legislation would extend the delay of eligibility for MAID in circumstances where a person's sole underlying medical condition is a mental illness. According to Dr. Margaret Cottle, a Canadian palliative care doctor from British Columbia, medical termination now accounts for nearly one in every 20 deaths there. Focus on the Family Jim Daly calls this new legislative push a cavalier and caustic approach to life and death that sadly reflects our current culture. He also writes, the medical termination movement is inevitably fanned in a secular culture whose citizens take God's seat. In reality, all of us will eventually die, but we believe it's up to God to determine when. Scripture makes it clear that death is an enemy. We're encouraged to see life as a gift from God. In popular press, you'll hear terms like mercy killing, but there is really no such thing. The loving thing is to care for our loved ones and turn over the timing of their death to the Lord. Now, whether it's murdering preborn human babies by abortion, physician-assisted suicide, or euthanasia, people are playing God, and there are many ethical boundaries that are violated. Now, who determines the value of human life if not God, who created every person in his image? If it is decided someone's life isn't worth living, who is to stop a government, the medical community, or society's elites from determining which lives are more, more valuable and which ones are just useless eaters, for example? And what if a person deemed useless does want to live 
Or what if their family wants to take care of their suffering son or daughter or family member? Now, we've been sold that assisted suicide or euthanasia is somehow compassionate or dignified. The probability, though, of abusing this kind of system is extremely high, off the charts. And many of us are reminded history will repeat itself if we don't speak up. You might be wondering about those very real cases in which a loved one is suffering and family members or caregivers are facing despair and discouragement. We must trust the God of all creation and the author of every human life who knows the number of our days and sees the end from the beginning, right? The whole picture. Finally, Executive Director of Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, Alex Shadenberg, warns, quote, Every time a door is opened to new reasons for killing, it always leads to another door. Opening the door to child euthanasia also opens the door to euthanasia without consent. End quote. Suffering does serve a purpose that can glorify God. And trials produce endurance, patience, and help us cultivate an eternal perspective, and that's a good thing. The good news is Jesus defeated death. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds believers, He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, verse 2. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at MyPillow. Save up to 66% on pristine quality bedding, towels, slippers, signature pillows, and much more when you use the code EDUCATED. That's E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, -E EDUCATED. Support this show and a great American company. Hey, Wesley. Yeah? Are you a boy or a girl? A boy and a girl. What are your pronouns? How do you know? Um, that's how I feel. So the difference between gender-neutral parenting and genderless parenting is that one is completely neutral and the other is not. For my youngest, we use all pronouns, including neo-pronouns, because we want them to feel each pronoun and see what makes them most comfortable. With my oldest, we've done this, and she goes by she, her, he, him pronouns. And has expressed that they are both a boy and a girl. Gender creative parenting or genderless parenting is allowing them to experience both masculine and feminine things. Oh, okay. Apparently, this is called genderless parenting. I say it's parentless parenting. And it should be called child abuse, especially when a four-year-old is being taught from the youngest of ages that they can literally be any and all genders. I would love to hear your thoughts in the comments on that one. Since the indoctrination seems to be warmed up, let's take a little time to find out what other stories are trending left. And we're going to go from crazy biological mom to crazy surrogate mom, as yet another teacher claims her greatest joy is for students to view her not as an educator, but as their mom. I am a teacher. I am not a standard teacher. No. I mean, I tell these kids to call me mom at school because I say that I am the school mom. I want them to be able to trust me, to come to me, you know, be able to 
feel like I'm not just someone who's going to give them good or bad grades, but like someone they can actually talk to, someone they can yeah, blah, blah, words, can confide to. And it's the greatest thing I could have ever asked to do in my life. Yep, yep, and yep. You can be a teacher and be someone that the students can go talk to, but you are not their mother and you look like you're eight. But anyway, speaking of nonsense, a principal at Beacon Elementary School in Dexter, Michigan, recently sent an email to parents promoting some books recommended for K-5 children to read this month. One of those recommendations was a book called Jacob's New Dress. Ah, yes. As we read on Amazon, Jacob's New Dress is an affirming story about gender nonconformity. And apparently it's appropriate for, you know, all the three-year-olds out there. The story goes like this. Jacob loves playing dress-up when he can be anything he wants to be. Some kids at school say he can't wear girl clothes, but Jacob wants to wear a dress to school. Can he convince his parents to let him wear what he wants? This heartwarming story speaks to the unique challenges faced by children who don't identify with traditional gender roles. Oh, yet another example of just parentless parenting. Can Jacob just not have parents who are going to be parents, but instead just, hey, you're just my friend. You're my pal. You can wear whatever you want. You can be anything you want to be, especially, specifically, when we're coming to talk about genders. Anyway, the confusion doesn't stop there. We have an online teacher whose self-esteem is apparently so low that she needed to change her pronouns mid-school year just to get some validation from young, impressionable kids. Here we go. So today was our first day back from spring break, and I told all my students that my pronouns are they, them, and that my honorific is mix. But I wanted to tell you about two of my students that just made my heart sing and made me feel so validated. Uh, One of them, she put in the chat, ah, I'm so proud of you. And then one of my other students, maybe like half an hour after we had talked about that, had a question and put in the chat, mix, da-da-da-da-da, here's my question. Um, And it was just so validating to see mix pop up on the screen instead of miss, and I just, it made my day. As always, we must, we must put upon the children, because we have parentless parents and teacherless teachers, and it's the children who must validate our adult feelings. And I mean, just to go from the MS to an MX, I mean, wow, that just, it makes everything. That's life. That's what these people are striving for. And it's just sad. But finally, we're going to wrap things up with a statement that's just 100% straight out of crazy town. But many of these super woke have convinced themselves that biological men who believe they are women are actually biological women in their brain, just, you know, it's, it's in there. It's just, you know, they're born with some extra parts. That's all. That's all. And you think conservatives are the knuckle-dragging science deniers. Sure. Transgendered women are biologically women, though, in their brain. It's just the body didn't match up. Um, and this is why we need the distinction between cisgendered and transgendered, because biologically we're the same. But the rest of it, Biologically, I'm five foot seven. Biologically, it's just that some of my parts don't line up. And so so I'm just five foot. But biologically, I'm five foot seven. 
That's going to wrap up this segment, but you can be sure there will be plenty more craziness next week. Until then, stay sane. If you have a smartphone, tablet, Roku, or Apple TV, consider downloading the Freedom Project media app. It's 100% free and includes all of our weekly shows, plus lecture series, archive programs, and award-winning animated videos for families like the Presidential Minute, Battles of America, and Heroes of the West. Don't rely on the social media giants to keep you informed. Simply download the Freedom Project media app from your app store and allow notifications. And we'll let you know when a new video is ready. Well, let's wrap uh, things up today by asking a simple question. How does a four-day work week sound to you? Well, it turns out that a pilot program in the United Kingdom has done, just done this so well that nearly all of the companies that tried this decided, you know what, we're going to keep it. Yeah, I heard Bernie Sanders is in favor of this. Anyway, a total of 61 British companies with around 2,900 workers were enrolled in the trial with employees working an average of 34 hours across four days between June and December 2022, all while keeping their existing salary. Who wouldn't want to? Okay, at the conclusion of the six-month trial, 56 of those companies, or 92%, decided to stick with the four-day work week. And we have a video that explains more. Red means don't disturb. This traffic light system, just one of the ways this London PR firm is trying to squeeze five days' work into four. That was the single most transformative thing for us. People put the light on red. You have to respect it. 70 companies across the UK are now more than two months into this experiment, moving staff to a four-day week, but keeping their pay the same in the hopes that they get the same amount of work done as before. Here at Unity, there are now clear limits on meeting times and strict handovers required so that half the team can get Mondays off and half get Fridays. Why did you take part in this experiment? It was really, really simple. In fact, we were in the middle of the pandemic. I was so afraid for myself, but also for the team that we were just burning out really, really quickly. And I started thinking about ways to help with this. Okay. It was a rocky start. We missed things. People didn't sort of communicate well with each other. Things got dropped. And it felt like, what have I done? Those guys over there have their lights on green. For the team, though, those early challenges were worth it. I'm really, really enjoying it. I think my mental health is honestly so much better. I feel like I'm a better friend on my fifth day, so I feel like I have more space to be there for my friends and be there for my family. Here at Unity, they say there's another advantage. It's helping attract talent. Recruitment was really difficult, and now we're absolutely inundated. Like, we get more offers every week from people coming to us than we could ever possibly use. All right, the numbers show a shorter work week was found to improve employees' well-being. 39% of employees said they felt less stressed, while 71% had reduced levels of burnout. Employees added that they felt less anxious, less fatigued, and they were even sleeping better. Now, David, wow. what are your thoughts on having a four-day work week? Well, first of all, may the odds be ever in your favor. I, it's really interesting. I am going to that four-day work week, although I'm not getting paid the same. So maybe there's a problem here in America. 
I like it because I think if you can spend three days outside of work, you can be more productive even if you spend a little more time at the, at the office. Here's what I'll say, because this was in London and I've been to London and worked in London. And I went out just the simple fact that that company or anyone in that, that company, the travel then getting to and from work is stressful enough. In, in oh, when you're in living big in big cities. Yep. So, and maybe some of them actually live outside of London or out in the burbs of London. And so even reducing the work time down to that to help kind of offset that. And let's be honest, yeah, it was an all female company. And females, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of anxiety and stress and burnout that happens. And especially if any of them are young moms, I could completely see how a four day work week would be beneficial. Yes, I'm speaking from experience. I think it honestly could be more beneficial and you could get more creativity out of those employees if they are then actually there for those 34 mm. hours. If it is a true 34 hour like work week. Because yeah. 40 hours, it's an arbitrary number that got put in back in um, when we, we were talking manufacturing and how that all started what almost 150 years ago at this point yeah uh, when everybody worked 12 when hour everyone days. yeah they, they put in the arbitrary yeah. eight hours a day five days a week well, that so that you later. couldn't get yeah, yeah that it couldn't yeah. get you know take advantage of the worker bees but it, i think it all depends on what job you're in does it need to be 40 hours every single week i think does it what you said is very important it depends on the job or the profession because mm -hmm. some, you couldn't do that 40s. You could, like a, well, I guess hospital workers could do that. But there are some professions where that probably wouldn't work. All right. Well, yeah. that's going to at least wrap it up for Educated uh, this week. Wow, already? Four, four days. We did four days. <laughs> now, uh, David, did you learn a couple things this week? Always. Always. Yes. Excellent. Well, for Katie and myself, thanks for watching, listening, and supporting the show. And until next week, stay educated, America. Educated is directed and produced by Mike Menzel. Hosted by Katie Petrick and David Fiorazzo. Makeup and hair by Katie Scholl. Graphics designed by Dan Kaler. Educated is owned by Freedom Project Media. See other shows and content at freedomproject.com or download the Freedom Project Media app. Copyright 2023.